0: Welcome to the Ancient Paths Podcast, a journey of unlearning to learn the New Testament church where we look at what we've learned or experienced and hold it up to the light of scripture and stories of the New Testament and early church, then discover together how we can return to those ancient paths so the church would thrive and live again. I'm Daniel Sabo, and I'm honored to be your host. And with me today, I have Andrew McMahon. Excited to have you, Andrew. Happy to be doing another one of these with you. Glad to be here. Yeah, so today... Uh, Covering and kind of talking about another character from the early church, Uh, characters maybe a bad word, just a, a a father, a figure, a leader in the early church, uh, Irenaeus, and uh, he a lot of his ministry is known for uh, an area in France called Lyon, and uh, his story's you know really kind of fascinating. So he has a tie to Polycarp, who we talked about a couple of episodes ago, um, uh, over in Smyrna. So that's you know modern day Turkey, Ephesus, that area. He was likely born over there, has some connections to, sat under Polycarp for some time. He comes over to Rome to go to school, and then shortly after that he heads up into France to Lyon, where he is not the leader of the church, but he's kind of one of, you know, one of the leaders underneath the primary, you know, bishop who's leading there. Kind of interesting uh, fact about his timing is Polycarp sent Athanus from Smyrna to plant a work in Lyon right around the same time uh, that Irenaeus was born, and so the church in that region is as old as he is, and so now, you know, he's born over in Smyrna, spends some time in Rome, now he's in the area um, uh, where this church is about as old as he is, and so um, really kind of a a cool story, but really the story of how he ended up being in the place of leadership that he was uh, is absolutely heartbreaking. So, Irenaeus is sent on a mission to, you know, to some other area for a period of time. And while he's gone, the church in Lyon experienced just devastating uh, persecution. And uh, a lot of this is actually um, recorded in uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs, talks about some of the people during this time, what happens. But there's a couple people that I want to uh, highlight um, that were... A part of the church that Irenaeus was a part of, um, who you know were were killed, were martyred in the time that he was gone. This short trip, you know, kind of a mission trip that he left and came back. But when he comes, uh, when he's gone, the uh, there's a, a a guy named Sanctus who's a deacon in the church, who's arrested and he's killed. And the way that he's killed is they take hot metal, like burning metal, and they set it on different places of his body, and it burns through him until it burns to the very bone. So just a sadistic, horrifying way to be killed. And a lot of this, what they're, what they're trying to do is get them to renounce their faith, to get them to renounce Christ. And so they use pain and torture uh, to, and they would get some sort of sick satisfaction out of, you know, this Christian denounced Christ because we, you know pulled out their fingernails or stabbed them or did whatever horrifying thing they did to him but the 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 person that just gets me her story it's a woman named Blandina and she was just a a young woman in the church she wasn't a person of wealth or anything like that but she was a follower of Christ um and the kind of person that you would see you know a fair small you know woman that if if the torturers would think to themselves, if there's someone we're going to get to denounce their faith, it's her, mm. and they tortured her horribly, and she showed such resolve that they could not get her to renounce her faith, and so they finally get exhausted with the normal type of torture that they do, and they take it up to you know uh, a level that they would you know do to a more extreme person. And they tie her to a stake in the arena and then they release these lions to devour her body. And while she's <laughs> while she's on the stake, you know, for the lions to come, she's both encouraging the Christians, like, don't renounce your faith. Like, he's worth it. Like this, this is temporary. And, and like the pray for those who are doing this to me Mm. and the lions wouldn't touch her. (laughs) And so they take her off and, and then they bring her back another day, set out the lions to do it. And she does the same thing, you know, and she's been so horrible. I mean, she, they, they're exposing them. They're doing horrible. She's already been tortured. And then they put her out on the stake as and again, Imagine an arena filled with people cheering the lions on to eat this woman in front of them as a form of entertainment. And the woman is saying, I'm here because of my faith in Christ. My faith in Christ is not shaken. It will not change. And if you're a Christian, whether in captivity or for some other reason you're here, um, don't renounce your faith. Like, stand strong. And again, just like Daniel, you know, the the lions don't touch her. And so they take her out again and they bring her again. And this time they brought her out with a young man, uh, Ponticus, a, an even younger kid than her. And they tie the both of them up. And, uh, you know, history says in the account of those who were there say that the young the young boy kept looking to her steadfastness and they both Endured into the end, where finally they killed them with the sword. And so, this is the church, the 30 year old church mm. in Lyon, and what they're experiencing. And when Irenaeus is gone, this all takes place. And the bishop of the area is one of those that is also killed in this time. So, he comes back, I think 50 or something like that of the Christians are killed, to include the leader. And so, now he's the leader so if you can imagine coming to you know coming back home you know to this mm-hmm. a fledgling relatively new church you know that 30 years from zero christianity to you know whatever happens in those 30 years it's still that's young mm-hmm. you know for a church in that region and you're coming out of school to help serve some leader and now you're the guy I can't even imagine, you know, what what he went through and what that must have been like uh, for him. But this is what creates uh, the place for him to step in as the bishop, and so he's got tremendous persecution, obviously, happening against Christians. And then, uh, how do you lead a church where fifty of your congregants are brutally tortured and 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 you know murdered in these hor- horrific ways? for sport for entertainment i i don't think we can even imagine you know a context like that in the in the world that we know for our part of the world that we know and the places that we've lived you know for a christian to be uh mocked because of their faith is relatively infrequent here maybe people don't want to be your friend maybe people make fun of you mm-hmm. but even mocking is relatively infrequent here the number of times that people in any given church in America that have been beaten for their faith is a very low number in our in our context. Mm-hmm. He's trying to lead a people where several of them have been killed, tortured, trying to refute their faith and and they won't. Anyhow, I I I just can't imagine yeah. you know, what he's going through. So you have that side of everything that's going on, those that are coming against You have your church community trying to somehow process, work through, deal with, and I'm sure there's aspects of fear, aspects of faith, that these people endured such great hardship and they endured to the end and and then everything in between, you know, what's going to happen next and all of that. And then at the same time, you have the emerging more and more of the Gnostic Uh, false religion in that area that is trying to pull people away. And so if you're on the fence or if you're struggling, um, you saw these people, maybe someone you know, someone you're related to, certainly someone you love has just been killed, now's a good time to try to recruit out of that church into a false, you know, you're looking for answers. And so the Gnostics would, you know, come and say, we have have your answer. And so uh, Irenaeus actually wrote um against the gnostic teaching against the gnostic belief um the name of the book if you search it today and again you can i'm sure download pdfs and stuff of it but it's called against heresies and it's you can buy it as a book but it's really five different writings that he did and they are powerful they're amazing in the writing the first one he really just kind of calls out who Gnostics are and what they believe and what their teaching is. And then the second writing is he really just kind of begins to pick apart how it doesn't even logically make sense what they're saying. And um and he's coming against these heresies that are coming against the church. And so I, I think we've talked a little bit about um uh the Gnostic beliefs, and but I think it'd just be good to yeah. kind of touch on it a little bit again. Uh, one side note too. Um, he wrote other things too. That one, one that I have, I want to start reading. I've kind of set my 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 sights on is uh, he wrote a book called The Demonstration of Apostolic Preaching. And so he wrote some other stuff too. But the for the context of the conversation today, um, I, the the against heresies is the writing that I want to focus on. But the Gnostic belief. So gnosis is the Greek word for knowledge, and so the the main premise of what most false religions honestly, but certainly many false religions is the idea that they have a a higher knowledge, a higher understanding, you know there's some pretty common um, you know perversions of Christianity that are out there now that you'll hear them say things like, "You have a version of Christianity, we just have like a better version you have." Yes, you have the Old and New Testament, but we also have this. Or you have the Old and New Testament, but you have a broken understanding of it. We have we have this, you know, greater understanding. Essentially the same thing that the Gnostics were doing. They were taking aspects, pieces to the stories of the Old Testament, the stories of the New Testament, and then they're adding their own, you know, distortions and perversions uh, to make it their own. So they're not just a completely different religion with different... Um, characters, they're taking Christianity and twisting it for their own purposes. And so uh, Irenaeus sees this, obviously, as a big problem, and he puts this amazing work together to refute, to come against, for one, so that the church isn't just tossed around. But what's amazing is when you read his work against the Gnostics in that time, you can see not only the truth of what he's writing and how awesome his writing is, but you see what the Gnostics actually believed. And if you've done studies on modern-day religions and false religions that are that are out there, you feel like you're reading about stuff now from back then. So the deceptions have different names, but they really haven't changed much in, in all that time. Some of the major kind of big beliefs that Gnostics have and I, I think this particular region, there was like the Valentina Gnostics, because the word Gnostic is really kind of a word that was used later to group all these, these groups together. But anyhow, um, they believed that spirit was good, physical was bad. That's the, the the main premise. And so they take the message of Christianity, and they say you need to deny your flesh and, and elevate your spirit. So they're taking kind of Scripture stuff, and they're twisting it so f- for their story Jesus was not physical he was just spiritual what you saw and thought was physical wasn't he was just a spirit being because spirit is good Jesus was good mm-hmm. physical is bad so he couldn't have been physical he was just spirit and then they had this uh belief this idea that you had these kind of like demigods or spirits that were your legacy of whatever spirit you came back to and it went back a certain number of spirits and your job was to find your origin spirit and just this weird stuff. But what they did with the uh, the uh Christians is they would take aspects to what they believed, what they thought, and they would say, oh yeah, we believe that too. We just also have this, and we also, you know, you see it that way, but really what it's saying is this kind of thing, and so they're taking Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, twisting it, um, and creating like this secret knowledge, this higher knowledge that you have whatever that is, but we have that and more, and so again, Irenaeus, all these martyrs, you have this persecution that's happening, and now you have this false teaching that's coming across, and so he writes this amazing uh, against heresies mm-hmm. to come against all of that. And so amazing guy, amazing uh, reading uh, to go through some of what he wrote. Um, yeah, just fascinating, fascinating, heartbreaking, inspiring, you know, faith-building, all that, kind of all at once. And so because of what he wrote, you know, many people see Irenaeus as kind of the the founder of uh, Christian theology, of how how do we affirm what is true, renounce, you know, what is not, and the writing to to help other believers to kind of go through it. So, um, kind of the 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 connecting point for today. Why does this matter for today? I, I think there's some obvious ways that it that it matters. But uh, a word that we've used, I think, a couple times in some of our conversations uh, is the word hermeneutics. And so, uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about this. And I think Irenaeus is a great connecting point because you see where he did this well. So, what is hermeneutics? Yeah. Hermene, hermeneutics is um, it, it really is just a it's a word for interpretation. It's not a religious word. Obviously, when we use it, we're talking about the interpretation of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So is this something I, I know you went to Bible school and stuff like that, done a little bit with this? Yeah. The, okay. So um the 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 false, you know, God Hermes, that's the same, you know, the the messenger who brings the the messages. That's that well, that, that comes from, that same language there. So here's the you know, big picture idea. So Paul writes a letter to the church in Corinth in the mid-50s, so what is, so what is true? Paul writes a letter, he del- de- delivers it to the church in Corinth, or someone delivers a letter for him. What is true? Paul is a person in a role at a time with the knowledge, the position, the context that he has with a purpose, and he writes that letter And then that letter is delivered to the church in Corinth, usually with someone that he sends to deliver it, who is likely there while he wrote it. Mm -hmm. And then they have a current context of what's happening, who's in leadership, who's there, what's happening in Corinth, what's happening in the known world, and what is Paul responding to, what has initiated Paul's letter so that they're responding to that as well. That all happened in that time hermeneutics is how do we then read the book of Corinthians, first Corinthians today, where we don't make it say a bunch of stuff that it didn't say. Yeah. So maybe a a simple way to say it is what, what did the author mean? What was their part? What was their perspective when they're writing it? And then the reader, what did it mean to them Mm -hmm. at that time in that context for what's happening there? That's, the basic idea of interpretation that makes sense right why does this matter i mean can you can you see why uh does does this maybe feel a little bit like uh, a a pointless exercise or is 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 daniel or some people coming up with rules that aren't necessary or do you i mean i again i know you've studied some of this in school any thoughts on i'd just love to hear
1: yeah i mean to make it's it's really important i mean um I mean even just imagine you like going through maybe some of your grandparents old belongings or maybe they have some box stored away boxes stored away and you look and you see some letters yeah and it's like you're reading you know this correspondence between people maybe that you've maybe heard of or yeah. maybe you even haven't don't even know and then but you get kind of a window into their world um mm-hmm. but what's really going to help you understand the contents of this relationship your grandparents had with this other person, right. Is, is knowing first your grandparents and what uh-huh. they were going through at the time yeah. and then even finding out, okay, who is this person they're writing to um, to help bring context and clarity and understanding to the contents of the letter yeah. versus just being like, Oh yeah, I've heard of that person and they probably meant this or they probably right. meant that. And so it's really important. um And I think, it's a great conversation and and one i'm excited to just hear more about because it's um we should have a you know a good understanding and feel comfortable as disciples right to get into this book not feeling overwhelmed not feeling confused or uncertain and feel like we have the tools to be able to just mine um what's in this i yeah. mean because even even in that you know we're talking about letters like the epistles but there's other types of yeah. of um, literature in this book, yeah, you know, wisdom poetry, books and poetry, wisdom, yeah. like um, apocalyptic. Yeah. Like, and I think even how you approach those would be even, would vary. And, yeah. you know, depending on what was happening at the time or how, you know, an ancient, like Eastern mindset would perceive some of these writings. And because um, ultimately, like we want, we want to know him. We yeah. want to, um, and this is such a wonderful, beautiful gift we have. Yeah, And so hermeneutics is a, as a, a tool to help us in that journey. So yeah,
0: no, that's so good. And it's true. The, I think some of the things that we have to be honest about is that we have a context where we live. We have a culture that we've grown up in, we have likes and dislikes experiences. And if we just read the Bible, not considering any of what was happening, what was what's the bigger picture, and we exclusively read it through whatever it means to me, we can make the Bible say things that it does not say, and we can affirm things in our life that the Bible doesn't affirm or create guilt and shame in areas where the Bible doesn't create guilt mm-hmm. and shame and so uh, you were sharing about like your grandparents i i was i was uh <coughs> my I think it was my mom's yearbook I found when I was in high school, I think maybe, maybe earlier or later, but around that time. And I was going through and looking at pictures and stuff. And, you know, obviously style was very different, you know, when my parents grew up, but you know how students, your friends would write things in there. One of the really common things that was said was, you know, I hope you have a gay summer. I hope you have a, Mm -hmm. and when I was reading it, I was like, mom, what is that? She's like, no, it just means like happy. You know, it didn't mean it. And so language changes in your right. context. And so when I was reading as a kid, I was, you know, that meant something very different. Right. I was and that time was used really mostly as an insult, kind of a, a jab against somebody. And so why are all your friends being so mean to you? Mm-hmm. You know, why, you know, what what what's the purpose behind that? And so language and its meaning and its context yeah. is different in you know whatever it means to you in your cultural context. You can't impart that in Her friends weren't being mean to her. Her Friends were wishing her a good summer. So if I take my context, my time in history, you know, the the place that I live, and then I impart that into it, I've changed the meaning. Right. Kindness now has been meanness. You know. uh, A a friend wishing you well over the summer has become you know an insult. Right. And so understanding you know some of those pieces, uh, like you said, different types of writing. The book of proverbs i think is a great example it's it's wisdom right it's not necessarily or it's really it's not a book of promises so if say just from a very practical perspective say you're starting a business and i'm trying to encourage you in starting your business and i say look if you treat your customers right your business is going to grow if you treat your customers right they're going to treat you right is that true of course that's true mm-hmm. uh, businesses that treat their customers right Their customers are going to treat them right. Is it possible that you treat your customer perfectly and they're a monster to you? Mm -hmm. Of course that's possible. It's a proverb. It's saying, if you do things this way, you will experience this. But if I call it a promise, you told me, Daniel, that if I treated my customers right, they would treat me right. Mm. And you lied. Well... I wasn't telling you this is exclusively how life works. I was sharing information with you. So there's lots of ways that things can get twisted, ways that, and then like you said, that once you're talking about apocalyptic stuff, if you're talking about prophetic stuff, um, poetry, Mm -hmm. that you start taking everything literal, you start imparting your own ideas into it, you can start making the Bible say a bunch of stuff that it doesn't say. You know, passages where it talks about um, you know, wiping out whole people groups, or you know, taking your aggression out on someone's kids, and these things. The Bible is not saying do this. You know, there's there's aspects to with the context, with you know what's going on, what it means is very different. And so, uh, our 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 bias, our culture, our language. Um, you know, one one thing I know that that you would know because you you lived in Texas, but you can say to most people in washington bucky's and that what does it mean and mm. and and what what does that represent and it's just a weird name right yeah but if you're in texas that has mm-hmm. meaning i mean there's it's a, it's not a religion but it's almost like a religion and if people ask you what it is it's
1: the best place on
0: earth right but 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 what is it actually like describe yeah. it yeah the, very yeah. plainly
1: yeah it's 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 a gas station. It's a gas station.
0: <laughs> it's a gas station. It's a big gas station. And yeah. so if someone's listening, they're like, you guys are excited about a big gas station? Right. So our context from outside, I need more information. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when we're reading scripture, the the background, the context for why is this being written, what's happening, it's pretty formative, uh, that information is very, very helpful to yeah. know. Because if all I have is there's this place, Bucky's that that everybody, you know, loves, and they're wearing their hats and shirts, and they're missing food from there, and they haven't been in forever. And first, as soon as I get there, I'm going to go straight to Bucky's. And what's Bucky's? What's oh, a gas station. I, I'm still lost at that point. Right. And so I think sometimes the amount of information a new reader has as they're approaching scripture, okay, it's a gas station. Like, why? Why are you moved by this? Yeah, and and I I think you're more weird than when I had that piece of information, you know. And so, I think hermeneutics is not just about getting it right and not screwing it up. It's not just about oh, you use that verse out of context. It's what's going on. Yeah, what's happening. And I think sometimes hermeneutics is employed by Christians when when there's maybe a complicated topic or when it's a highly argued or contested topic, when uh, hermeneutics is something we should always do. Yeah. You know, something I I would like to do better at it, but something I try to do when we're going through the church, you know, going with the church through a book, the first Sunday I try to take time just to say, here's what's happening, here's what's happening, this is the culture, here's some of the challenges that they're facing, here's, you know, why it's being written, here's kind of the relationship the author has with the church in that time. I feel like when we have the background, the context, then when you start reading, when you start going through the information, you're, you're positioning yourself to really understand what was being said, how it was being said, um anyhow, I, I oh, it's so good. It's helpful.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's important. And like you said, we're not we're not just, you know, through our lens or experience or understanding of our own culture, putting that on a whole nother culture with a whole other things happening in in their world and um and like you, you even were talking about not even just understanding what's happening but also, like, why is this important to the writer or the one receiving it? Why is it moving them? What what is it doing to their heart? And and of course, from that place, we can receive and apply to our lives, but rightly, not right. not like a weird, twisted form of it. And we'll, we'll get we'll get a whole picture and a whole, um, yeah. It'll just it'll be right. And, yeah when you apply his truth and, and what was being, because a lot of times I think we get stuck, you know, because it's not working or, or like why? Because a lot of times maybe we were receiving or projecting something that wasn't even being meant right. in the scriptures. Anyway, so. No,
0: I I think a great example of that. Now I, I love America. I love this country. I, I served this country in, in the military. I I love America. Right. But the number of times that I hear people use the eagle when it's referenced in Scripture that is talking about America there, it's like you're taking something mm. way later in, in history and you're imparting it into right. that time. Because when you think of a bald eagle, you think of America, Right. Th- th- imp- it implies something different at that time. And so you're taking your context where your mind goes what you think and you're saying it's talking about yeah this this particular country and so i think kind of the the nuance the challenge is sometimes i i feel like when i've talked to people you start giving background you start giving history it's almost overwhelming oh man i can't read any of the bible then because right. unless i'm a historian i can't I can't know any of what it says. Right. That's not at all what I'm advocating for. I, I, don't, I don't want to create a, a fear or a sense of overwhelming. You, right. know, you can read the Bible. But I think the other side, too, the other ditch maybe of, you know, where you can, you can get so buried in it to where you just don't know where to go and you feel like you have to be a historian before you can read the Bible. I'm not saying go there. But the other side, the number of times that I have heard people say, you know, when I read that verse, this is, this is kind of what I do with it for me and it's almost as though any verse any statement any paragraph just take it and just do some things with it and right. god loves that just as long as it helps you it's good and as long as you yeah. that's that's pretty dangerous too right. where where it's the other side where we have no you know no starting place no foundation piece because understanding the context again a church like corinth there's things happening. Paul has a relationship with them. He's been with them. He's writing to follow up some things that he's hearing. Um, that is extremely helpful to understand this is what was happening. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not then bound in that, okay, it only meant that, and anything else I do with it to try to apply to my life, because I don't live in Corinth, and I didn't know Paul, and I... I wasn't in that exact same situation. Mm -hmm. I can't apply it to my life. It's not a history book where it's history for the sake of history. There are principles that you can pull away from that, that, that it's good to have mature men and women in your life when you're experiencing challenges that they can speak to it, like Paul did for the church in Corinth, that the perspective of what they had of church and how they were treating communion and how they were treating you know times that they gathered together that if i treat the church in that way it's going to create problems and and challenges uh the the affirmations of the importance of the church the affirmations of this is what love looks like it's not just a word but this is what it looks like in practice i can apply that and so the purpose of hermeneutics is not to turn it into history, not to turn it into a textbook where you learn something about something about it. It's so that you can actually understand the beginning place. This is what the author meant. This is what the audience meant. This is what the author was doing. This is what the audience was receiving. Let's understand that plainly right. and then begin to ask, okay, Lord, how, how in my life, in my context, wow, I feel like my love has been very transactional, you know, the the way that I've loved people has been, if you're not proving to me with your actions that you love me, that I'm not going to love you back. Mm -hmm. Then when I read, love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, you know, keeps no record of wrong, okay, whatever I have, it's not that love. And so Lord, help teach me of that love so I could have that and how I can, uh, you know, share that love with others. And so it's not to turn the Bible into something else, but if we just kind of extrapolate whatever we feel like based on whatever our context is, we will make it say things that it does not say, mm. but if we start with you know this was the original meaning, this is the original audience, this was what was being accomplished, now I can begin to to eat from that right you know then what i'm what I'm actually learning and helping yeah. being helped with is is what it said, yeah, <laughs> what it's saying, so. That's good, if, man. If that makes sense, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I was thinking about like, you know, even just relating it to something as simple as like like math or like someone going to school to be a doctor or a surgeon. It's like it's not unreasonable to approach that subject or that field with a sense of like, man, I really I really wanna like handle this in the right way. I wanna learn so that I don't um you know, teach people a wrong way of approaching how to solve this equation, or I don't want to literally hurt somebody. Right. (laughs) And so it's like, I think some of it, if I'm honest for me, at least even that like part of being a disciple is being disciplined is, is, is like not being lazy. It's not just wanting the one, one day a week, like someone just feed me something and I'm good. But it's like part of being a disciple is maturing and growing yeah. and taking some responsibility and and searching things out. And um and that takes time, that takes effort. That's gonna cost you um something. And and I think we can't be afraid of that and we can't like make excuses to not put that time or intentionality or focus because this is the word of God. If we really believe this is inspired and um God breathed and then like in the same way, like and not even in the same way, even more so, how much more weight should we put on the word and just even our approach to it or our willingness to to get time and understanding how to how to mine it and how to understand like what's taking place. Yeah. You know, and so um I know that's true for me. It, even because I think sometimes, oh, it's just too much or it's too overwhelming. I think maybe that can be because there's just a lot of things. Like we literally drive, like th- however heavy a car is every day. You know, it's like we took time to learn how to operate that. We took yeah. time, you know, when it's break when That's it's really broken good. down. Like there's a way to you know do the oil right. There's a way to take care of an engine. Like it's like no, we, we're we're actually very committed to learning things that are weighty and have significant impact in our life. And so I think sometimes, I'll speak for myself, the feeling of being overwhelmed, although that might be true, like it can't be an excuse to hide behind, to disengage, or to just pass it off. Like there's actually an amazing invitation to lean in and to search this out. and And of course, in the context of community where there's those who are more mature or know more and yeah. are able to impart. And so anyway, I was just thinking of some of that. It's no, like, it's,
0: it, and I think that's, that's really where mine was. My mind was going to was that's, that's why the church is so important. Having the mature help, you know, those who are growing in maturity, the, the different gifts, the teaching gifts to, Hey, what's, what was going on with yeah. Hebrews or what's the background to Romans? What's the, what's the history there? And I know Paul did some different trips. Was this one of the places that right. he went and, asking those questions is great, and in a church community, there should be people helping mm-hmm. others to learn those things right, and yeah. to see those things, and so I I think that's uh, the perfect context for it, because, again, if I have a relationship with you yeah. and you know we're in this together, my approaching you and asking you a question is exciting, it's not scary, and yeah. so I think that the healthy church community really is a big part of the answer to this, because I think one of the, you know, as I was Preparing and thinking about this conversation i've I've heard a lot of people kind of throw their hands up in the air um, there's so many people with so many different perspectives um, it's whatever it means to you you know who am I to tell you what the bible means who am i to to tell you how you're supposed to interpret that it's you pull from it whatever it speaks to you mm-hmm. and there's an element of you and I can read the same verse and be blown away by different aspects right. to it. Where I'm blown away by the power of God, and you're blown away by the patience of God, and you know Callister's blown away by the love of God. And we're all reading the same verse. We're all right. That right. It's not that someone was wrong. Uh, and then the next time that I read it, maybe I'm yeah. totally, you know, impacted by something else. And so there is an element of there's so much to see. There's so much to learn that yes let's talk with each other but it's also possible that i look at something that the bible says or that happened and i go god is cruel mm. you know god is hateful god is uh whatever instead of seeing him rightly because of a misunderstanding and so hermeneutics helps me i'm hearing i'm seeing i'm i'm understanding from the context of what actually was happening what's being yeah. e- expressed not putting my own Context of today's language, lack of understanding of the bigger picture, whatever, and imparting meaning to it that it doesn't mean, and that—that's really so much of what the Gnostics did, and that's a lot of honestly what Irenaeus spoke against, because one of their uh, the 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 language that they used was they they spoke about uh, the the Old Testament God mm-hmm. was evil. The New Testament God and his father were good. And, and the idea of how they share it is um, that the Old Testament God was one of these ancient, you know, demigod spirit things. And it did something terrible, which was make a physical world. And they never should have done that, but they did it because they were wicked, mm. because everything physical is wicked. And so when you read the Old Testament, see how wicked that Old Testament God is. And I, I think a lot of people read the Old Testament and see a wicked God, which is not true, right. which isn't what happened, but it's, I think it's a, a twisting of this lie that's been perpetuated for thousands of years, right? And so that's what they teach. And so guess who's the first hero you see in the Old Testament uh, trying to help the physical people under the rulership of this evil God? Who's the first helping demigod there? snake in the garden. Mm. There's a snake in the garden trying to help them see what's good and give them knowledge and give them, you know, so that they can know what's right and wrong to pursue this spirit-only rejection of physical... And so the very deceiver is portrayed... As a hero in the story. Mm-hmm. And then when Jesus steps on the scene, that's when things change and he came as spirit and his father was spirit. And so when he's talking about his father, it's not the Old Testament evil demigod. It's so all of this twisting right. of scripture is taking place while using the Bible. Right. There, there's this belief that they have, there's this teaching that they have, and then they impose it on scripture. And then people are reading and they're saying, okay, well. Yeah, the Bible does say that. Wow, that's, oh, wow, good and evil. That's not bad. The snake was good. That wasn't deceiving. And when they did eat the fruit and they did have good and evil, the evil demigod got mad at them and kicked them out. Oh, you're right. He is evil. And so they're twisting what's going on. And So that's obviously kind of an extreme mm-hmm. version of what can take place. But this is why it's so important that we understand the difference between go to the Bible. And it just means whatever it seems like it means to you versus what's what's the original intent? What's mm-hmm. happening? What why? Uh I think you know, the 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 story that comes to mind, there's an edict put into place where you can't pray. Uh Daniel goes and he prays in the window of his house. Mm-hmm. I've heard that verse used so many times to, like, stick it to the government. Mm-hmm. You you know, if they tell you you can't do this, go do this. If they say you're not allowed to this, then go do this. Now, did did Daniel disobey a government edict? Absolutely. Yeah. But what was he doing the day before at that time? The same thing. Same thing. What was he doing the day before that at the same time? Same thing. Mm-hmm. Daniel did not allow his practice to be influenced, his practice of spending time with the Lord to be influenced by a governmental law right daniel didn't go out to his his patio and pray real loud as a act of protest because that's not even speaking to god that's speaking to people i mean jesus talks about if you're praying so you can be heard cool that's what you get you were heard right. congratulations you weren't speaking to god you were speaking to people like that i that that interpretation of that moment with him mm-hmm. is anti-biblical. I mean, the Bible talks about that in other places of praying in that manner. And so hermeneutics is our friend. Maybe it's a a word that we don't necessarily need to use on the regular in the church, uh, maybe sort of an academic word, but the idea of hermeneutics, so the practice of, I'm about to read from this book in the Bible. Let's let's learn a little bit about who wrote it, why, what was going on at that time, you know, the 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 best part to this really especially in the old testament you start reading what's happening Isaiah Jeremiah what's about to take place you start reading Daniel what just took place yeah. you know the i mean there's so much to it and then you start to see the thread of the story through all of it the goodness of God through all of it how it all points to Jesus and the culmination of when Jesus arrives and he lives this amazing life this perfect life and offers himself up as a sacrifice and ascends. And as he sends his spirit, the 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 another of the same kind, and the spirit falls on the church and the flames, instead of just these crazy events that take place, whoa, flames, whoa, people speaking in tongues, whoa, this guy died, whoa, this person was raised from the dead. These people taken into captivity it just feels like a bunch of weird stuff happening because you have no context for what's what's going on and how it's tied to each other, that with the context, you start seeing this is one story. Mm. This is one story that began in this beautiful place of creation, this beautiful place for creation to live and thrive and be in communion with God, and then you see the Old Testament, God creating places and ways for people to be near Him, where His tabernacle sits amongst the people because he wants to be with them, and the sacrifices that are offered are what help to temporarily create place for the people to draw near to God. And then when Jesus comes, he fulfills that, restoring back to the beginning of relationship and nearness to God. It's not a bunch of weird things that happen in history that, wow, it was strange and barbaric, and that guy did this weird thing, and that guy did this weird thing. It's one Story and so as we apply hermeneutics, as we learn context, you start seeing how this is one really cool story, and you're not losing something. Right. By I can't make it my own story, and in part, it wouldn't mean all the amazing things that it means. Right. If you just take your one context, then then all you have is I don't know. I don't like gas station food. I don't think I'll ever go to Bucky's. You don't engage with something because of your limited context right. or something and and so hermeneutics i believe is meant to and will produce an excitement about the word it'll produce a connection in the word yeah and an ability to really pull all that there is to pull from it to help us and and to help other people so yeah like irenaeus did yeah <laughs> so a great book i i really encourage uh you and anybody uh Against heresies, it was a longer name at first uh, when he when he wrote it It was a really long name, but kind of what it gets if you search for it, what you'll find is that. Um, and there's some great tools out there about hermeneutics, and you know maybe some practical steps and some things to do that yeah that will help as you're reading. Um, is there, man, if you're in my community, I'd I'd love to help any way I can. I love talking about that stuff, and so
1: yeah, someone listening, what would what's a tool that you go to or a resource? Would you point anyone anywhere specific?
0: Yeah, I mean, commentaries are a cool place just to learn about what's going on. I think there's a lot of, um, you know, reliable commentaries where you can find and see the um, the history of what's going on in that world, what's happening in that culture. And I mean, honestly, a lot of your Bibles start with a paragraph yeah. or two. Um, get a study Bible where it'll talk about that. And my experience is you learn a little bit, It kind of makes you hungry to find out more, right? And so I would say just start somewhere simple. And um, you know, one, I I really love the the guys that put together the Bible project. They Mm -hmm. do these synopses with these videos of books of the Bible and different questions and things. And so that's that's not a Bible college degree, but man, it'll it'll help give you some really cool context as you read it. That it'll it'll help you to understand it. Um, There's these guys who do they're legit Bible college classes, Hillsdale Bible College, that you can, for free, take some of their classes, where it's much more deep of a dive. So a lot of great resources out there, commentaries and those things, but just be open to it as a start. So, awesome. Thank you, Andrew. This is really fun. I know it's kind of an interesting topic, uh, not necessarily about a a, a physical, you know, one thing in the Bible, but I think we see uh, the story of... uh, of Irenaeus, the, the the impossible situation that he was in from a worldly perspective, and you know from these different sides, these challenges that were coming across, right. and how he saw knowing the word, teaching the word, defending the word—that foundation, if that's in place, and these lies are refuted, that's one of the greatest gifts that he could offer the church uh, in that day. And I think, I, I think he was right when he did that. I think it's still right now that that, in many ways, what will help us as a church to thrive is to know the Word of God and to not be um, you know, easily twisted by some yeah. false teaching out there. So it's awesome. But thanks, man. This is yeah. really fun. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us. Um, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. We have a YouTube page. We'd love for you to follow, subscribe. You can get the alerts for when new episodes come out on Wednesday. We got the podcast, Apple, Spotify, all those ones. So check us out. Uh, and again, let us know if you have any questions, insights, for, or ideas for new episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks so much for listening and thanks for hanging out with me, Andrew. I'm not searching for some new truth, just
1: for. Something missing Would you help us get on Would you help us get on